Are you ready for God's word today? All right, grab your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 13. And go ahead and stand. We're going to stand as we read God's word together. I love for us to stand and just honor the word of God. How many know this is not a book? This is the book of every book, right? This is the word of God. And so I love to honor it. Uh, Exodus 13, this is right after Israel. God has delivered Israel with Mo, or through Moses. He's delivered them from Egypt. And so they have come out of slavery and bondage, and they are headed to the promised land. Um, and they're headed through you know, the wilderness, and we know that. And so once they came out, uh, they came out through Passover. That was with the blood on the doorpost and, and God, the plague of the firstborn. You remember that. And then Israel, you know, or Egypt lets God's people go. And so then they're coming out. And God gives them two things to institute immediately when they get in the promised land. One of them is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the end of Passover. And the next one is this, this principle um, that we're going to talk about. And he talks about the firstborn. So Exodus 13, and most people date the Exodus in the mid-1400 B.C., okay? Mid-14th century B.C., um, yeah, no, 15th century B.C., mid-15th century B.C., 1450, 1446, somewhere in there. All right, Exodus 13. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to read uh, verse 12 and 13. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. Now, I would love to explain how emphatic that is in the Hebrew when God says mine. Uh, God is not an immature two-year-old, but if you've ever been around a two-year-old and you touch something that was theirs, what did they say? Mine, right? You know, I mean, or one, especially if another kid touches it or their little brother or sibling or whatever. Um, well, God is almost that emphatic. He's saying, hey, the, the first is mine. Um, and then verse 12, it says, you will set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn, everybody say firstborn, of your animals that are all males shall be the Lord's. There it is again. They belong to him. Now, verse 13 is kind of strange, but we're going to explain it. Every firstborn of a donkey you will redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you will break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you will redeem. Now, I know that doesn't make a lot of sense yet, but we're going to talk about it today. Um, I called this message, and here's what I really felt like the Lord put on my heart. Keeping God first. Keeping God first. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. And Lord, today as we open your Word, we also open our hearts. And God, we ask that, that we wouldn't miss this time. This is a divine time. It's a, it's a sacred time. But God, you wanted every person to be here today. There's no accidents. You guide our steps. It's a divine appointed time. So Lord, help us to open our hearts and receive from you what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing to honor the word of God. Um, I want to talk about keeping God first. Now, if I were to ask you, everybody in this room, and if I were to say, hey, do you think we should keep God first in our lives? I'm going to guess all of you know the answer to that. Because you're in church, right? I mean, you're in church on a Sunday. It's fall break. You, you know, you could be camping or wherever, doing something, whatever. But here you are. You're in church or you're online. So you know the answer to the million-dollar question, should God be first in our lives? And you would all say, yes. 
Of course he would, yes. But how many know <laughs> it's not always easy to keep God first in your life? You're like, it isn't? No, it isn't. It's okay. Okay, we're going to be honest in church, okay? Um, we want to keep God first, and we believe that God is first, but, but keeping God first is not just, you can't just say it and God stay first. Wouldn't that be nice? You can't just make a one-time commitment and God just be first the rest of your life. Wouldn't that be nice? The truth is there's things all the time competing for what's going to be first in our life, competing for what's going to be first in our time, first with our energy. You know, I've found sometimes it's easier to budget time and it's easier to budget money than it is to budget energy. In fact, when I coach our team, I always talk about the fact that you can budget time and be really good, but if you don't budget energy, energy, you're going to have time with your family where you're disconnected, disassociated, and you have no energy. So really, it's about managing energy more so than just time, yeah. right? And so how many know there are things that just compete? We, we live in a world, and we've got budgets and jobs and, and responsibilities and spouses and kids. And wouldn't it be nice if just one time in my life I say God is first and somehow he just stayed first. But the truth is there's a lot of things competing for first. I can tell you as a pastor, listen, as a pastor, I deal with this, believe it or not. I wish I didn't, but I do. And in fact, sometimes pastors, we have really good excuses and sometimes ministry will be first and God becomes second. And, and sometimes you can miss it because you think, well, God's first. Look, I'm doing ministry. Well, is God first or is ministry first? The way I answer that question is, did I read the Bible because I love God today or did I read the Bible because I need another sermon today? Right? And so it, it sometimes is hard to keep God first. But we know we need to keep God first. Now, let me tell you the power of keeping God first. And let me tell you why God wants to be first and what that impact and effect is on your life. And write this down. I always want you to take notes. Even if you're online, I want you to take notes. So if you, you can type them in your phone, write them down, whatever. But I want you to write this down. When God is first, everything in my life comes into place. When God is first, everything else falls into place. I'll show you this in Scripture. It's actually a promise. It's actually from the words of Jesus. But this is the power of priority. See, whatever I put first is actually going to have power over my life. Let, let me show you. Uh, this is uh, Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking. Verse 31, it says, Therefore, do not worry. Obviously, Jesus did not understand 2023 when he said this. Because how many you know there's a lot of reasons to worry in 2023? I mean, we are watching the war in Israel. It could be Bible prophecy being fulfilled right before our eyes. Time will tell. It really has to do with Russia's involvement, probably to see if this is really what the Bible calls Magog and, and a fulfillment of prophecy. We're going to find out. But I'm just saying it's, there's, it's madness out there, right? But Jesus said, therefore, don't worry. He said, don't say this, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. And that's unbelievers. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But look what he says, verse 33. You've heard it, but look at it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here's what Jesus just said. I want you to understand something first. That this is, Jesus is grace and Jesus is truth and this is both. 
This is graceful truth and gracious truth. And let me explain why. Because Jesus knows if I don't have him first, I'm going to worry about a lot of stuff. And if I don't have him first, there's going to be disorder in my life. And so graciously, Jesus is looking at these people and he's saying, you see the unbelievers? They're worried about their food and and their water and their clothes. Now, first of all, are those good things? Yeah, those are good. It's not like they were doing bad things. It's not like they were pursuing bad things. You understand what I'm saying? They weren't doing drugs. They weren't gambling. They weren't running around acting a fool. No, not at all. So here's the point. It wasn't bad things, but they they were good things, but in the wrong place. So even if I get good things in the wrong place, life still doesn't work. That's what Jesus is telling us. So he's saying, don't put these things in the first place. Put me in the first place. And when you put me, the kingdom of God, in the first place, all these other things start falling into place. This is the power of priority. You need to understand, all right? Now, I'm going somewhere with all this, but I'm building a foundation. The power of priority is whatever is first in my life has power over everything else in my life. Right? So if I get, let's say I wanted to be successful. Let's say I'm a businessman. And I want to be successful. Well, first of all, if you're a businessman, you should want to be successful. And I can tell you, God wants you to be successful too, right? So there is nothing wrong with saying, I want to be a successful businessman, especially if you're giving to the kingdom and, and God is first and you're supporting the kingdom and, and witnessing and all the, things, all the things you can do with the influence of success, right? So God wants you to be successful. He said, beloved, I wish above all that you'd prosper as your soul prospers, okay? So God wants us. But what if I get success in the first, that becomes the first thing. Well, it will organize my values, and it will organize my time, and it will take authority over how I spend my time and who I spend my time with. And, and maybe because I'm driven by success, I'm going to take on more business and, and more contracts, but that means I don't have time maybe to go to church, or maybe that means I don't have time maybe to, to spend time with my family or something. But you could end up, look at that, if you get it in the wrong place, and maybe because I want to be successful, maybe I have to compromise values a little bit. Not bad, just find some gray areas there because that's how you really get ahead. And that's not necessarily who you are, but you just got the, a good thing in the wrong place. What if you get a relationship? Like God, give, God invented relationships. God is the one that came up with marriage, not our government. By the way, God is the one that defines marriage, not our government, nor our emotions, nor our feelings. Are you with me? So a relationship is not a bad thing. God's given us relationships. But what if you get that relationship in the first thing? Well, it's going to determine how, how I make decisions. It's going to determine how I feel. It's going to determine my values. What if, like our culture, you know, the top pursuit of our culture is happiness, right? Well, what happens when I make happiness my primary pursuit? Well, the first thing is, since happiness is an emotion, my emotions become the Lord of my life. And I live by my emotions, And whatever makes me happy today makes me happy today. And whatever doesn't make me happy today doesn't make me happy today. And the thing that made me happy yesterday doesn't make me happy today. And now it's this never-ending pursuit. You never really get there, but you're just running, running, running because happiness is first. What Jesus knows, what God knows is whatever is first has power over your life. And what he knows is he's the most powerful of all. And when you get him first, everything else falls into place. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added. So we're talking about how do we keep God first. Now, we're in a series called Blessed, 
And we're talking about how do we keep God first. Well, we've been talking about finances, about giving. Um, and I want to say I'm very proud of you because I've heard so many amazing testimonies. Honestly, just in the last couple of weeks, just families tithing for the first time, giving the tithe, and God blessing and promotions and increase. And, 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 then, and then people like, Pastor, I'm, I'm planning to tithe. This next paycheck, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to try it. And, you know, because we talked last week about testing the Lord. And you can test him with the tithe, Malachi 3 says. And they said, I'm going to put God to the test, which is a good thing because God said, test me. And I'm praying for you that, Lord, bless them. Open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings. Show them. God, you said, if we, when we test you, you're going to open the So I've been praying. So I just want you to know, if I was preaching on evangelism and you were bringing people to church and you were witnessing, I would say, I'm proud of you. Well, I'm preaching on finances and putting God first and you're doing it. I just want to say I'm proud of you. How about that? Right? So just receive it and say, well, thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. Thank you. You're a good guy. I know I am. Anyways, um, <laughs> but so we're talking about we want to keep God first. Well, keeping God first, how many know that's a, that is a posture of the heart? Right? If I want to keep God first, it comes from my heart because it's not always easy. So that's a passion. That's a desire. Well, here, here's something because you're like, well, how is all this related? Okay. I want to keep God first. Keeping God first is really about keeping my heart in the right place. And according to Jesus, my heart is connected to my money. According to who did I just say? Not Pastor Marty. According to Jesus. Look at this. I'll read it to you. I'll read it to you. It says this. Same sermon. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 19. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Look at verse 21, what Jesus says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A lot of people, I've heard this verse misquoted by a lot of people. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, the Bible says... Wherever your heart is, there your treasure is going to be. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that is where your heart's going to be. Let me say it another way. Humbly, let me say something for just a minute. Just hear me out on this. If God is not first in your finances, he's not first in your life. I don't mean any disrespect. I'm just telling you what, the, what we just read. See, one of the ways we keep our hearts set on God and we keep God first, one of the main ways is because our heart is attached to our money and our money is attached to our heart. All right? This is why sometimes when you get a bill or you come in unexpectedly like some of our guests today or maybe our pathway people have been out and you come in today and you're like, oh God, he's talking about finances. You're like, <gasps> Well, you didn't grab your wallet. It wasn't like, <gasps> no, he's like, <gasps> right? Talking about, <gasps> get a bill. <gasps> Car breaks down, <gasps> right? Why is that? Because our money and our heart is connected. If you don't believe me, watch this. If you don't believe me, tomorrow buy stock, pick a good stock, ABC stock, and buy some shares. And, and a stock that you have never paid attention to before, all of a sudden you will check on several times a day. Do you know why? Because your heart follows your treasure. 
your heart follows your money. Your money doesn't follow your heart, but your heart. So here's what, here's, I want you to think about this. So God wants to be first in your life. And God knows if I'm first in your life, everything else in your life starts falling into place. And so God says, well, your heart and your money's connected. So I'll institute the tithe and offerings, not because I need your money, but because I want your heart. Right? God doesn't need our money today. I'm sure, you know, there's a a businessman who was very successful and he passed away and he smuggled a suitcase full of gold bars into heaven. And he gets to the pearly gates and St. Peter's there and he said, hey, what's in that suitcase? And he opens up and says, look at all these gold bars. And Peter scratched his head and looked at him and said, why'd you bring asphalt to heaven? <laughs> right? How you know God... You know, God, like, like the New Jerusalem's like, what, 1,300 miles wide, 1,300 miles long, 1,300 miles high. Um, the foundations are all precious stones. The roads are made of, of uh, gold, and the gates are pearl, and those gates could be 1,300 miles high for all we know. I don't, here's what I'm saying. I don't think God needs my money, but I do know God wants my heart. Are you with me? So I want to give you a principle, um, and it's called the principle of the first. And I want to show you the power of the first, because the first is what keeps God first. And I just want to give you three examples from Scripture, okay? So the first one is this. Now, this goes back to Exodus. You're like, well, how does this get back to the petting zoo we read about? Okay, well, back in Exodus 13, right? If you're from PETA, um, I'm sorry. We're going to talk about animals being sacrificed, but we didn't, we didn't sacrifice them. And if you want, after the service, I'll sing in the arms of an angel with you. Okay, um, anyways, all right. So <laughs> behave. Anyways, all right, so so. The first I want to show you, the first example is what the Bible, we read about it, calls it the firstborn. Okay, so we read this in Exodus. I'll just reread verse 13. It says, every firstborn of a donkey you will redeem with a lamb, and if you do not redeem it, you will break its neck. Every firstborn among men, among your sons, you will redeem. It's like, okay, what are we talking about? So, so in the Bible... A lamb is exemplary of a clean animal. Everybody say clean. The donkey is an example of an unclean animal. Everybody say unclean. All right. So if it's a lamb, I have to sacrifice the first lamb. This is what he's saying. Firstborn, I bring in my firstborn lamb, okay? And that is to the Lord. But he's saying if it's an unclean animal, I have to redeem it by sacrificing a clean animal, which is a lamb. Are you with me? So the firstborn has to be sacrificed or redeemed. By the way, if you don't redeem it, he said you have to kill it break its neck. In other words, if you don't get it redeemed, you lose it. Are you with me? So pastor, what does this have to do with anything? Well, let me ask you a question. According to the Bible, were you and I born unclean or clean? Unclean. That's right. We know that Romans 5 says sin entered the world and death through sin and death spread to everyone because everyone sinned, right? By the way, this is a false belief that's being circulated in a lot of different 
belief systems, I guess, in our culture, and some of them are in cults, uh, but it's the idea that there is no longer original sin, that we are born innocent. And according to the Bible, that is not true. And if you hear that, it's heretical, and it's not true. We were all born in sin. That's why Jesus had to come save us. Are you with me? So we know that Romans 5, we also, Romans 6, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we were born unclean. Now let me ask you a question. According to Scripture, according to the Bible, was Jesus born clean or unclean? He was born clean. So what we just read is if it's an unclean animal, you have to sacrifice the clean animal to redeem the unclean animal. So this is what God did. Because we were all unclean, but God wanted to redeem us. So God sent the spotless lamb, and he was sacrificed to redeem anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. Are you with me? Now this Bible, this verse, is really a picture of Jesus, but it's also talking about giving of our possessions. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus is God's tithe. See, because God doesn't ask us to do things that he doesn't do. And Jesus is God's tithe. What do we say the tithe was? It's the first, and it's given, and it's given in faith to redeem the rest. And Jesus was the first, and he was given and sacrificed, and he was given in faith while we were still sinners. In other words, when we were spitting on Jesus and cursing Jesus, he was still going to the cross for us. While we were still sinners, that's faith. God didn't know whether you would say yes. He didn't know whether I would say yes, but he offered him anyway. So Jesus was given in faith while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. But also, he's the first is the redemptive portion. This is what makes the tithe so powerful. Listen to me. It is not the percentage that enacts the blessing. It's the position. It's the first. The first portion is the redemptive portion. That's what we just read. Jesus was, you know what the Bible calls him, Romans 8? He was the firstborn of many brethren. The firstborn. Right? And so, so Jesus is the firstborn, but the first is given, and the first is the redemptive portion. What we read last week, if you remember, in Malachi, he said when, when, they, when they had stopped giving the tithe or bringing the tithe, when they stopped bringing the tithe, he said, you're cursed with a curse. And we said God wasn't cursing them. Jesus died. This is Colossians. Jesus died he became a curse. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He became a curse to free us from the curse. So God's trying to free us from a curse. He's not trying to curse us. Are you with me? God doesn't curse us. He's, he's working diligently to free us from the curse. That's why he sent Jesus, right? But when he says you're cursed with a curse, he's not saying he's cursing you. He's saying because your finances are under the system of the world, there's a curse there. What was the curse? The curse was poverty. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. And if you don't think poverty is a curse, why are you working 50 and 60 hours a week to get away from it? Are you with me? So he said, your, your finances are cursed. I'm wanting, I provided a system where when you give me the first, 
it redeems the rest and you move your finances out from under the curse. So the first portion is the redemptive portion. That's why I don't want to give my first portion to the mortgage company because while I need to live in my house, they can't redeem the rest. Scripture says when the first is redeemed, when the first is holy, the, the, the all of it is holy. Are you with me? In fact, Old King James calls it when the first lump. <laughs> when the first lump is holy, all of the lump is holy. And, and so the point is I don't want to give the redemptive portion of my finances to, to something that's cursed or some, to keep it under the curse or something that can't bless me or, or something that can't redeem the rest. And this is the redemption. It's what God says. When you give me the first, you'll see that 90% with my blessing will go farther than 100% without. And so the firstborn, it's, it's Jesus is God's time, but, but it's showing us that we give it first and we give it in faith and it is the redemptive portion. When, remember what I said, the, the first, it is, what do you say? Mine. And I talked about how a two-year-old, you know that, right? Mine. He's saying, no, it already belongs to me. It is mine. Think about this. When Israel went into the promised land, eventually they get to the promised land, they go into the promised land. When they go into the promised land, they go to Jericho. It's the first city. It's the first battle. Y'all remember Joshua and the battle of Jericho. And they marched around it for six days. And then on the seventh day, they marched seven times around it. In fact, side note, just funny Bible fact. Uh, archaeologists have now confirmed what the Bible says about the, the battle of Jericho and how the city fell. So pretty cool. Anyways, but you know that. But when God, think about this. When God sends them to Jericho, he gives them this instruction. He said, of all the gold and silver of Jericho, it is mine. Now, why did God want all the gold and silver of Jericho? Why did he say it is mine? Because it was the first city, the first battle the first conquest. And by the way, he said, consecrate the first to me, right? But we know the story. There was a man named Achan, and Achan took some of the gold and silver and hid it in his tent. You remember this? And they go into the next battle, and they lose. And Joshua was like, Lord, what happened? And he said, there's sin in the camp. Well, what is the sin? Someone took my gold and silver. And here's what he said, and you're cursed, he didn't say, I curse you, but he said, nope, you're cursed. Why? Because someone's got the gold and silver that belongs to me in their tent. And they had to go through a whole process and figure it out. But why did God say the first is mine? Hmm? Why did he say that? Why did he say, bring me the first? Because it is the Lord's. Do you see that? So the firstborn has to be sacrificed or the redeemed. The first one uh, belongs to the Lord. So that's the firstborn. Here's the next example, the first fruits. The first fruits. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says, honor the Lord with your possessions. Well, pastor, how do I honor the Lord with my golf clubs? <laughs> how do I honor the Lord with my car? You know, how do I honor the Lord in my house? Here's what he said, with all the first fruits of all your increase. Now, I just want to point out, because we talked about this last week, I won't go through it all, but people say, well, tithing was under the law, giving the tithe was, bringing the tithe was under the law. And I said, no, it was actually thousands of years, well, we, we talked about last week, 400 and 500 years before the law, and it's also after the law, because we see it in the New Testament. But I want to point out, Proverbs 3 is the wisest man who ever lived, and also, let me just point out something, the wealthiest man who ever lived. 
How many would like good advice on how to be successful and wealthy from a successful wealthy person? Proverbs 3 verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. And so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So how do I honor the Lord with my possessions? You give the first of your increase. That's what, that's what Solomon just said. Give the first of your increase. Exodus 25, 19, look at this. Bring the best of the first fruits of the soil to the house of the Lord. I want to point out two things that that verse says. Bring and house of the Lord. We talked about it last week, so I won't go back into it, but I do want to say it in case you missed it. I'd encourage you to go back and listen. When the Bible talks about the tithe, the first part, the first 10%, it never says we give it. It tells us we bring it. And the reason is, is because you can't give something that does not belong to you. What we said is the first is the Lord's, right? If it's his, I can't give it to him, but I can return it or bring it to him. Are you with me? Right? So just a fun fact, right now, if you got paid today and you have not given the tithe, God has money in your account and you decide whether you're going to bring it back to him or not. And going back to Joshua and Achan and the sin, when I consecrate it to him like they were supposed to, there's, there's blessing. And when, when I keep it and conceal it, there's cursing. Question. Would I want to have the blessing of God or the curse of the monetary system of this world? I think I'd want to have the blessing of God. Amen. But he says, so you bring it. It belongs to me. And then it says, where do you bring it? To the house of the Lord. I want you to understand, when the Bible talks about the tithe, you don't designate the tithe. I had a, a businessman uh, who was successful, and, and he always wanted to give me his tithe. I don't know why. But he would call me and say, could, you know, could we meet up or whatever? I want to bring you my tithe. And uh, so he brought it to me, and he said, here's my tithe. You know, and it's a large amount, but he said, here's my tithe. But I want it to go to this person and this place. And I said, well, then it's not a tithe. Well, no, this is my tithe. It's 10%. Well, the tithe is to the house of the Lord. So you can call it an offering, and that's fine. You can give your offering to those people, but you don't need me to give your offering to those people. Well, I just want to give here. And you, to, I said, well, let me explain two things. Number one, you don't control the tithe. It's the Lord's. And the second thing is you don't control the pastor. He's the Lord's too. I don't care how much money you have. So we got straight on that. <laughs> the point is we bring it to the storehouse. It's the Lord's, Right? Now you're saying, well, pastor, you know, wh why are you telling us this? Because I want God to be first. I want God to have your heart. And God is giving us, giving us prescriptively a way we can do that. But we have to do it his way, not partially his way. I was playing golf one time with a, a, a doctor friend of mine and successful guy, wonderful guy, great family man, just dear friend. And he was talking and he was saying, you know, uh, he was, we got on the subject of tithing. He was asking me about it. I answered, what, here's my questions. And he said, well, you know, I think with the tithe, we're just supposed to do good things. And I said, okay, I, I'm listening. You know, I'm listening. And he said, well, you know, I like to give to St. Jude Hospital. And don't you think that's a good thing? I said, I think that's a wonderful thing if you want to give there. I think that's fantastic. 
And he said, well, that's what I, I give there, and I call that my tithe. And I said, well, you may call it your tithe, but God does not. He kind of looked at me, and I said, listen, the tithe is the first 10% given to the storehouse. Pastor Marty didn't invent that. That doesn't come from Pastor Marty. That comes from the Word of God. And listen to me very carefully. A tithe given to the wrong place is not the tithe, and it does not invoke the blessing of a tithe. It's just the Bible. I've been asked a lot of times um, the question of why did God bless Abel's offering and refuse Cain's offering? Why did he accept Abel's? If you remember the story, Genesis 3, I'm going to read it in just a minute. But Abel and Cain, sons of Adam and Eve, bring an offering to the Lord. And the Bible says he accepted Abel's and he rejected Cain's. And I've been asked, well, why? Well, if you understand what we just talked about, the first fruits and the firstborn, it's very clear. Let me read it to you. Listen to this. Genesis 4, verse 3. It says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought, everybody look at this, everybody say, an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the, and everybody say, firstborn firstborn of his flock and of their fat and the Lord respected Abel and his offering but he did not respect Cain and his offering now did you see what we just read it says that Cain brought an offering meaning this Cain brought what he wanted to give when he wanted to give it but Abel brought the firstborn the one the the one of his livestock that hit the ground first he said, that's the Lord's. Do you see the difference? See, there are some things, I don't know if you know this, but there are some things that God cannot do. Do you know that? Sometimes philosophically as a pastor, you get asked silly questions. I had a guy, literally, you've heard the question and you probably thought no one would be, I'll just use the word silly. No one would be silly enough to ask that question, would they? But they did. And the question was, pastor, I was talking with someone who did not believe in God and they said, your God is all powerful. I said, yes. And they said, if he's so powerful, can he create a rock that he cannot lift? And I'm like, so I looked at them and I said, if he can, I hope he creates the rock that he cannot lift right above you. <laughs> Be blessed in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But no, I said this. I said, you know, God, God can't do illogical things. Bottom line, God does not and cannot do illogical things. There are things that God can't do. We talked about one of them last week from Malachi 3. It said, uh, Malachi 3 says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And we said this is the immutability of God or what's known or called the immutability of God, meaning God cannot change. And this is good news for us. Right? Because he says, I cannot change, therefore you are not consumed. In other words, I'm not going to change my covenant with you. I'm not going to change my mercy towards you. I'm not going to change my grace. See, if God could change, he could get better or he could get worse. Right? But God cannot change. He is the best. Right? So he cannot get better and he cannot get worse. And this is wonderful because check this. He's not going to have less mercy for me tomorrow than he does today. His mercies are new every morning. He's not going to love me less tomorrow than he does today, no matter what I do, because his love is not based on my performance. His love is based on who he is. Do you see that? 
So God cannot change. I don't know if you ever thought about this. God can't have a new thought. Like God's never been strolling through the galaxy and been like, oh, I just thought of something. You know, sometimes we think of something like, oh my God. You know, God's never been walking around like, oh my me. You know what I mean? He's, he's never... <laughs> He's never had that moment. He's never had an epiphany, right? You know, he's never had this thought, right? Because God is all-knowing. So God knows everything there is to know all the time at the same time. That'll short out your motherboard right there. You understand what I'm saying? Just, I mean, so, so, so God can't come up with something new. He can't think anything he hasn't thought. He can't have a new idea because God is all-knowing, God never learned anything, can't be taught anything, doesn't discover anything. And by the way, this is awesome because anything that happens to our life is not new information for God. But there's something else God can't do that goes back to Genesis 4 that we were reading. God can't be second. He can't. And it's not out of um, anger He's not being mean. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's not unloving or unkind. See, the Bible says God is preeminent. That's just kind of one of those Bible school words. What it means is he's before all, he's above all, and he is all in all. He is first. So he's before all and above all and beyond all. We call that his preeminence. So let me say another way, God is first. There wasn't anyone before first, before God, right? He said, I am the first and I am the last. Like there is no one preceding me. And, and so God is first and because God is first, he can't be second. When Cain brought an offering and God rejected that offering, didn't receive it, if you notice, it doesn't, there's nothing in the text that, it, that in any way infers God was mad or angry or irritated. He just couldn't receive it. He couldn't receive it because it wasn't first, and he's first. And so you need to understand this, this idea of first is an, it's an incredible concept for the Lord, the principle of the first, because the first is his. Listen to me. God wants to be first in our lives, but please understand he won't be second. And it's not because he doesn't love us, it's because he can't. It's something he cannot do. Are, are you with me? And so Jesus is the firstborn, the principle of the first. We see it in the firstborn. Jesus is also the firstfruits, the principle of the firstfruits. We see it their way. So here's the third example of the principle of the first. And the third example is the tithe. The tithe. Let me read a verse here. It says, And of all the tithe of the Lord whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. Here it is again, emphatically saying that the tithe is the Lord's. Um, now, you know, here we, we don't take an offering like we used to in old school church. Y'all remember old school church? Like here, a lot of our people, you know, Pathway people give online and we say, praise God for that. Some give through offering boxes in the back. Praise God for that. However you do that, it's wonderful. But we don't stop the service, right, and, and pass things up and down the aisles like they used to in old school church. Not because I think old school church is wrong. I just think it's a bad use of time. Right? Like, I'd rather spend our time worshiping or praying or talking about the Word of God than having a, and we'll just say, special song. 
Because some of us have been in churches where the special song was not very special. No. It sounded like a freight train took a detour on a dirt road, you know what I'm saying, and got lost in the woods. And someone need to put it out of its misery. And so, anyway, I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should not. That's bad. Anyways, y'all need to behave. Um, and so, but, but, but here we do it this way. But old school church, you know, they pass. You know, if you were in certain denominations, there was a, a plate. Like, we had plates, but they had little felt bottoms. And that was so if you gave coins, you didn't have to feel bad. Even the coins sound like folded money in one of those felt bottom plates. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? And then some had little baggies, you know, and I did, you know, one time see someone make change in the offering. That was weird. Um, and then some revival meetings, they use KC buckets. Praise the Lord. Um, expecting a harvest there. Um, but the point is, um, if I were to ask, I'll just ask this question. Would anyone think today of on your way out, stopping by the offering boxes, opening them up, taking money out, put it in your pocket and say, I'm going to use that to eat on today. Would anyone think that was the right thing to do? No. And if you're thinking, well, I don't know, it's a good idea. No, listen, (laughs) it's wrong. Okay. And here's why. We know the money in those boxes doesn't belong to us. That belongs to the Lord. Are you with me? So we would never think of taking money out of the offering box. But let me ask you this. Would we ever think about leaving money in our account that God says belongs to him? I was buying, so I love a good bargain. Anybody love a good bargain? And so I love to shop at, like Nordstrom's Rack is one of those places. If there's a Nordstrom's Rack, I love to go. And, uh, and so if we get close, Jan and I, or if I'm at a conference or whatever, and there's an orchard's rack, I, I like to go. And, we, you know, we have a clothing budget. I've always had that. So there's, we can spend this much money on clothing. We have an app where we keep up with our budget and all that. And so this was a few years ago. And, uh, and so I knew my clothing budget, and I was in there, and I, I was finding some bargains, y'all. They were deals. I, I love a good deal. Anybody can pay full price. But the winning, oh, when you get that deal at that discount, oh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not good on math, but I know this, right? If it's 25% off, it's a good deal. If it's 50% off, it's free. And if it's 75% off, you're making money. <laughs> right? And every, like, guys, you're sitting here like, what are you talking about? And every woman's like, praise the Lord, it's the best sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Because what happens when you know, if your wife comes home, she's like, it was 25% off. And is, I, how much is that? It's a good deal, right? 50% off, it's free. How do you figure? Because it's buy one, get one, right? If it's 50% off, it's two for one. One's coming for free, right? 75% off, we're making money. Anyways, but I couldn't resist. So I, so I, I bought, there were three things that I bought now because I'm, you know, conscientious of a budget, I do all the math in my head and I add on the sales tax in my head. And so, so I knew pretty much almost to the penny what I was going to pay when I got to the, the cash register. And, you know, I was busy and she was, you know, doing the thing, checking me out. Well, I started walking out and numbers stick to me. And I realized when she said your total is due, it was the wrong amount because I knew what it was supposed to be. And I thought, well, it was, it wasn't enough. So I pulled the receipt out and started looking. Well, sure, sure enough, she didn't charge me for one of my items. 
So I went back in. And I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry, but I came back because you didn't charge me enough. Now, when I said that, she looked at me. And I said, yeah, apparently you didn't ring up one of my items, and I need to make sure I pay you for it. And she said, okay. Now, why did I need to make sure I paid her for it? Because if I left, I would have Why would I have stolen it? Because money that belonged to them would have stayed in my account. Malachi 3 says, will a man rob God? We would never think of taking money out of the offering box. But do we leave money in our account that God says is his? Right? Um, So people say, well, pastor, how, how do you tithe? What is the tithe? How much is the tithe? I just thought I'd give you a simple example. If I, if I worked this week and I got paid $1,000 and I get asked all the time, do you tithe on the gross or the net? I'm like, I don't know. Do you want a gross blessing or a net blessing? You know, I'm, I'm serious. I'm just kidding. I'm like, for me personally, I always tithe on the, on the, try to tithe on the gross. I've always done it that way. And I usually round up just to make sure I didn't miss anything. You know, that's just me. And I've always given more than, uh, more than 10% of my income back to the church and then give offerings. But I said, let's just say I got $1,000 and they paid me in 10 $100 bills. How much is the tithe? And you would say $100, right? 10%. But which $100? The first one. That's it. The first, the first one that leaves your hand. That's the one that's redemptive. That's the one that's the firstborn, the first fruit, and the tithe. That's the one that speaks of Jesus. That's the one that testifies he's alive. That's the one that has the power. And that one really keeps our hearts right with the Lord. Exodus 13, I want to read two more verses. I want to tell you what to me is worth a lot more than money. Exodus 13, 14, it's just continuing the same thought. And it says, when in time to come, your son asks, what does this mean? You'll say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. In other words, what he said is they're giving the firstborn to the Lord. They're sacrificing and redeeming the firstborn. And he says, eventually your sons are going to grow up and they're going to say, hey, why do we kill these animals? And he says, when they do, you tell them who I am. And you tell them how I delivered you and how you were a slave and I set you free. Uh, I had this experience with my older son, my oldest um, he was I probably 10 because uh, he's kind of he knew about money, learning about money. And so when 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 he was that age, I got him a curriculum from Dave Ramsey and he had a giving bank and a saving bank and a spending bank. And I always say if we give to God 10 percent and then we save 10 percent and then we can spend 80 percent. And back in those days, we wrote checks. Y'all okay for the younger guys. So we used to have. <laughs> Before Cash App and Venmo and Apple Pay and all that, we used to have these little pieces of paper called checks. And they had little blanks, and you'd fill it in and sign it. It had little numbers at the bottom. And you'd give somebody a check, and they would run it through their bank, and then they'd run it to your bank, and then the money would leave your account and go. They were called checks. So back in the day, I used to, you know, now I give online. I give tithe online. But I used to always... Uh, 
write a check. And so we've been talking about money or, you know, finance, whatever. And, and Luke was there and, and we were talking. And I don't remember if he asked or he saw the check. I don't really remember. He said, you know, Dad, that's a lot of money. And I said, yeah, it's a lot of money. And he said, he said, why don't we give so much money, you know, to, to the church? And I said, well, that's, that's the first 10%, you know, teaching moment. And I said, but let me tell you why we do that, Lord, uh, uh, Luke. I said, we do that because God's first in our lives. We do that because we want to keep God first in our lives. We do that because the first belongs to him and we give it back because without him, we would all be slaves and we would all be lost. But he has, with a mighty arm, Exodus says, redeemed us and delivered us. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, went on, you know. I can tell you that conversation was, I don't know, 12 years ago, something like that. But my son today, most of you know Luke, is away at college. He's at Arizona State studying to be a, a child psychologist um, or counselor. And, um, and I can tell you this day, as a college student working at BJ's to pay his bills and get him through college, he tithes. He tithes. And I can tell you something else. When, when he... When he went to Arizona State, it's, it's, it's kind of a liberal school. Most colleges are. And it's a long way from home. And as a dad, I started getting worried. I was like, there's going to be crazy professors who are liberal and, you know, all the stuff, right? And, and I just remembered how he tithed and how he gave all of his car money. You've heard me tell the story, gave all of his car money to, to the new campus we were building, and then God miraculously provided him a car. It was crazy. And, and what I realized is, is if he'll keep tithing, God has his heart because your heart follows your treasure. And so, you know, I talked to him, but, but he's just, he's there at, at college. He's found his own church. He's made friends with the next-gen pastor. He's leading a life group for young guys, and he teaches once a month the high school students. Now, you can say, well, that's just because he's raised in the house of a pastor. No, 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 because I've met many people raised in the house of a pastor that are not doing very well. <laughs> there's, there, there's a reason why we have pastor's kid jokes. Are you with me? <laughs> no, I think it's because he tithes and he gives and God has his heart. That's why I think it is. And I want you to know, I want God to have my heart, but I want God to have all my kids' hearts. Are you with me? Come on. Can you give Jesus praise today? Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app. And we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also... Uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.